So that's what I remind myself after therapy every day. Like you're fighting for your life. And that feels good. It feels really good because it's mine. Like it's my life. This is In Therapy. Stories and conversations about the pursuit of mental health. I'm your host, Nabagazimanzi. Lindo Kuchengosi is a writer currently based in Johannesburg. In 2017, she lived in in the Eastern Cape as a student and experienced a series of violent attacks during several break-ins into her home. In each of these incidents, the assailants were armed and on some occasions, she found herself physically fighting to save her life. That period, she says, resulted in her suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, which in fact compounded another condition she had called general anxiety disorder, which she'd been diagnosed of a few years before. And so, when in 2018, exactly a year after the first break-in, she got a serious panic attack, she realized that it was time to seek for help. So I first went to a psychologist mm. who said, she, I'm not ready for cognitive behavior therapy. And why is that? She was like, you're too wired. You're too scared. You need to learn how to soften again. You need to learn how to be here again. Anything that I say to you is going to go back into that place of fear. So you need, you need drugs at least for three months. Then you'll come back and we'll start CBT. But there's no way... I'd be taking your money and wasting your money. I was like, okay. That's kind of her too. Yeah. But I was just like, that was your fan, your sister. <laughs> I literally, I remember I was sitting in the parking lot and I called my mom. I was like, no, mama, I sing a Like, I need drugs. I sing a And I guess it was defensiveness, but I'm like, it should feel difficult. I'm going through a difficult time. It should feel difficult. I should cry. Why is she making me feel wrong for crying? Why is she telling me I need to be on drugs, mm. you know? So it felt like a judgment of my pain, like I'm not supposed to be expressing this way. Um, and so I went back and I was like, I don't, I don't think I want to go on the drugs. I'm like, you watch all these documentaries and people end up zombies and they're addicted. And what if I can't drink anymore? <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know Priorities. I still want to drink. <laughs> like... And so deep among that, you're like, what's happening? One, one tarted you out. <laughs> I'm a cheap date all of a sudden. <laughs> For real, these are the things that I'm thinking of, right? Mm. And she's just like, um, that's cool. It's up to you. You don't want to do the drugs? You do want to do the drugs. It's up to you. However, what's actually happened is that you've got fear-based patterns in your brain. This is how your chemicals are wired now. And you can rewire them. The same way that if you had something wrong with your heart, you would fix it. It might be pills, it might be surgery, it might be your cholesterol is high and you need to jog. Yours is pills right now. But if you decide to just jog it off, it's up to you. Mm. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That was just like, because I'm the person who always tells people, don't be done. If they're telling you to take drugs, take drugs. <laughs> when they were telling me to take drugs, I'm like, yo, <laughs> like, what the hell? I'm just smart to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm really grateful though for that, actually. Are you still taking medication? Yeah. Yeah. And 
Um, I had a question about whether you resent that at all, but hearing you speak, I don't, I don't know. No, I love it. I hate that it costs so much money, <laughs> but I love it. It's like, yeah. Um, I didn't realize. So for a, a good six weeks, I wasn't taking my drugs because of medical aid. They were refusing to cover them as chronic medication. So there was like a six-week fight before they agreed to pay for them again. And in that six weeks, I saw, I was so terrified because I was like, oh my gosh, I've done so much work and I've made so many gains. I could literally see myself reacting in ways that I thought I'd grown, like reverting back to things that weren't making me happy, making mm. those kinds of decisions again. And it's not that it has completely changed my mind because the thoughts are still there, but between the emotion or the feeling and the reaction time, I've got like space, if that makes sense. Mm. Whereas before everything was like, it felt like I had no skin, like I'm walking around raw. Whereas now I have a little bit of protection. If this thing, I can choose for something to not hurt me. Or if it does hurt me, I can choose to not react with violence or or um, self-flagellation or abuse, you know? I can step away from arguments now. <laughs> I'm not provoked by everything. Mm. And that's been the biggest lesson. It's like, oh, I don't have to react to everything, which I didn't know. Mm. If it's a gum, then it's mine, you know, and I own it. Um, so now I don't resent the drugs at all. Mm. Yeah. I had to stop the sleeping pills, though. Because I like them too much. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I, mm, mm, cartel. Things are typically, yeah, I'm not like, I was like, ooh, I, Linda, good. That's what's handed to me. And the benzos, I also actually had to stop. Indoni benzos. So it's these, like, they're quite strong. It's You're basically in the moment of a panic attack when you feel a panic attack building and they sedate. So, yeah. Um, I zimnan did too much. I was just like, oh, I like this feeling. Ooh. Tingly. Mm. I was like, oh, uh, these are, and they're highly addictive, actually. Mm. Mm. Um, so those I had to be like, okay, I'm not, they're still part of my prescription. I just don't pick them up because mm. I just, I enjoyed them far too much. Do you remember anything about your first session? I was happy that she was black and gay. I was like, yes, black gay woman. That's a win. Um, but that's when she told me I need to be on drugs. I was like, you know what? We are fine. So it was a bit. Um, it felt like we were going to fight. Um, you have to bring yourself to the process. Like you have to be willing. I will say my first sessions, I wasn't there. I wasn't open to it. Yeah. What did it feel like once you let the walls down it actually got so yes it gets easier but it got less emotional that i wasn't crying all the time it didn't feel like i had to perform a problem like <laughs> what does that mean i don't know like you go into a therapist because you're not well so you must talk about things that aren't well all the time mm. but sometimes i've actually had a great week and that's what i want to talk about mm. you know so just knowing that i don't have to come with a problem like okay Maybe it doesn't come up. It doesn't, it's definitely not um, lying on a couch and talking about my inner child. That's not it at all. <laughs> Let's talk about my week. Sometimes something comes up and sometimes something doesn't. 
Yeah. Do you go during the week, in the middle of work, weekend? <laughs> I go during the week. I don't have a job. <laughs> yeah. I wonder about that a lot. Like, because I have flexible time that I can fit in therapy. And I don't have a dog that I need to feed. Just like, like, when do they go? What if you have a job space that isn't supportive? You can't take an hour. Right? Um, even when I was fighting with the medical aid to get the drugs, I had a medical aid to fight. I don't understand how people are paying like 2,000 rand a month. Like how? It's really crazy. And then, yeah, I keep wondering how different the situation could have been if I couldn't afford this. It's really scary. Physically afforded, time-wise afforded, financially afforded. Mm. Yeah. What do you normally do after a session? Sleep. I sleep. <laughs> I'm generally, so it's at the, mine is quite late, it's about five or six. Um, by the time I get home, it's like, I just want to take a bath and nap, which has been pretty cool. Um... And now my my cousin has moved in with her baby. So it's just like, no matter how raw the session is, like there's a person to be around for, which is a really nice feeling. Um, I don't know, because there's, there's that thing that depression does where you don't know if you want to live or not, right? Mm. It's not that I've been suicidal. It's just like, it didn't matter. What's the point? Um... And then last year, as violent as it was, having to fight for your life like fights off men, you mm. know what I mean? Consistently. It was like, oh, even not oh, like as an aware thing. I was like, wait, I fought five times, five times physically fought for my life. I don't want to die. Like, I don't want to die, you know? And so coming home and just listening to myself in whatever role vulnerable state is and being like, what you're fighting for is your life. It's a really good feeling. So that's what I remind myself of the therapy every day. Like you're fighting for your life. And that feels good. It feels really good. Because it's mine. Like it's my life. So it feels very... It's crazy how something so vulnerable can be so empowering. Yeah. As my conversation with Lindo Gutler continued, she revealed that the therapy sessions she began in 2018 in response to the PTSD were not her first encounter with therapy. And as a kid in like primary school, I had to go to occupational therapy, whatever it is. In high school, I went to therapy. Um, varsity. Was this... On the recommendation of your teachers, yeah. parents? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't really know what happened in primary school. I can't remember. High school was the recommendation of the school. Um, parents had become sullen and like rebellious. Which is another conversation about assertiveness and hysteria, mental illness in women. But anyway. Um, varsity. I was sexually assaulted by a friend. And then went to therapy after that. But it was all like a trauma therapy as opposed to like long-term mm. behavioral therapy. Yeah. yeah. So, and then this year, I've, I've been going to like behavioral therapy 
Mm. And yeah, I started taking medication for PTSD. Mm. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about assertiveness <laughs> and hysteria, um, and and the period that you're describing, which is your teenage years, and how people are reading, right? What's happening with you? That was, I mean, because if you're the kid that doesn't like the things that other kids like or you want to do, you don't want to do the things that other kids want to do, then there's something wrong with you, right? Um, and so that's when I was starting to internalize that there was something very wrong with me, even though I was just a little bit different. And I've always been, like, relatively outspoken. So I wasn't the kid who would do something just because all the other kids are doing it or because your mom says you must do it. I'd say no. And I remember that being linked to, like, I get quite right, Do you know what I mean? But then nobody can really do anything about it because you're like a straight A student and they mm. can't find a thing. You're just not particularly likable and you're not allowed to be a woman and not be likable. Mm. So must be a type of thing. And I wonder about those things. Like how much do you internalize all these things? And then mm. because everything that you like is wrong. Everything that you do is crazy. The things that you're interested in are crazy. You know what I mean? Mm. Like how much of that, like, you're not getting any validation, you're not getting any nurturance, you're not getting support, and you, you just feel like you're fighting alone. How much of that leads to anxiety? Because you're defensive all the time. How much of that leads to depression? Because you don't know how to be held and cared for or to hold and care for. Mm. You don't know how to nurture because you haven't felt it. In your mind, are there... Uh, differentiations between the different forms of therapy that you've gone through? Mm. Maybe because I was young, I don't feel like before now I've gone to a therapist who's spoken to me as a peer or as an intelligent person who understood what they were saying. Um, you're a rebel teenager or you're a child who doesn't do homework. You know what I mean? So it's patronizing. The, it really did feel that way. It really did feel that way. Um, yeah. So my rules have just been like no white therapists. <laughs> right? Um, and so my current therapist is an older black woman, which was weird because initially I was just like, ooh, my mom died. <laughs> and so I was censoring because I thought it was on Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but then the walls came down with time and I'm actually very comfortable there. Mm. But... I will say, and perhaps even me, there was like a little bit of arrogance. I'm just like, I watch House. <laughs> I watch Grayson. I'm not going to tell me. You know what I mean? So also like me not being open to the process. Like it's a thing that I have to do. because I got raped and now they're sending me to do this thing. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't there. Um, so it was more, it was a fight. It was a battle of wills. Let's see who's smarter. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I'm just like, you take what works for you, and what doesn't, you don't. They're not God. It's not like a Bible. Um, but yeah, I will say that there's... Like, trauma therapy is very helpful in like this, that emergency, right? Mm -hmm. But as a long-term thing, the language has to change because it's no longer like... Um, you cut yourself, you're immediately bleeding, you put pressure to stop the wound. Mm. You're not going to be doing that for three years, right? It has to change. 
in conversations with people who are curious about the process, what are the biggest misconceptions? The misconception is like the, that it's a cure. Like, you must be well now. You've been doing it since April. Why not a cold? So that's been, it's been a hard one to battle. But that's mostly been family as opposed to friends. And um, I think that's more of like a shame thing. It's more of a shame thing because if, if your child is in therapy, how much do you have to own about them being in that place in the first place, you know? Um, so I think that's a shame thing. What's the other one? I don't know if it's a stigmatization, but like, um, I'm sometimes scared to say when I'm triggered, or when something is bothering me, um, because it feels like I can't just be bothered as a normal human being. I can't just be angry because this thing is an angering thing. It has to be because I have PTSD. Must be. Mm. It has to be because I have depression. It has to be because I have anxiety. And then also myself, like policing myself, just being like, okay, Lentole is affecting me. I'm not handling it well. Why? Um, if I tell this person, is it because Nyakula or because we're in the wrong? Is this thing actually wrong? So that's second guessing myself. Yeah. Mm. And a lot of people actually support the second guessing. You know what I mean? Um, no, I didn't really hurt you. It's because you have PTSD. No, I didn't really hurt you. You're just sensitive to these things. No, you did something wrong. You know? So that's been, yeah. That's the one backlash I'll say, the one major backlash against speaking out is that people use it um, as a way to dismiss me mm. when I'm upset or when I'm confronting them and wanting to hold someone accountable in any way. No, this is not, I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, no, it's not that bad. You're just sensitive to these things. I've had somebody ask me, did you take your pills today? Really? I've been waiting for you for four hours. I'm upset. Oh, but did you take your pills today? That type of stuff. How did you respond? I said, I've been waiting for you for four hours. Even if I took my pills or not, you're late. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned your psychologist, your current psychologist, yes. black woman, older. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were talking about her, you were saying you've decided no white people. Could you talk <laughs> directly to that? Have you met white people? <laughs> no, I mean, if I get, I can't imagine walking to the room being absolutely triggered by whiteness. Like, this is the reason I can't get out of bed today, is whiteness. Like, that's it. And having to explain that to a white person who's going to explain back to me that that's not actually what I'm feeling. I don't want the room for that. It might not be. I might find the wokest white person in the world. I'm not taking those chances <laughs> with my life, though, you know? So I just, there's things that I, I think we can take for granted as black people and as black women that I don't have to explain. Um, and already in that space of vulnerability, to have to explain what being black is, as if you don't know. Those are, I think we're too old to have those conversations, actually. We're too grown in our politics to, like, yeah, 
it feels performative. Mm. Yeah. And with your current um, psychologist, are, are you able to bring um, all of that to the to the couch? Or are they... It, the question I'm trying to get at is, is she trained to listen out for, I couldn't get out of bed today because of whiteness? Or is mm. it all just pri- the private, the individual, and what you're dealing with in your personal history rather than all of the history that we've had to deal with? No, she can hear. I mean, I think even if people aren't trained to respond to it, any black woman will respond to We're We're living it. All of us are living mm. it. Um Maybe we don't have the same vocabulary for it. Maybe we haven't read Audrey Lord, but we know what we're talking about when we say we're afraid to speak. Um, it's not the most perfect fit. But I think because of me, because I hold myself back, because of my mom died, and you want to be respectful. And, um, but she's amazing because she doesn't beat around the bush. <laughs> a bit tough lovey, which is really great. Uh, but with a sensitivity and an awareness. It's not the perfect fit. I'm still shopping around, but I'm at the place where I don't, I need a doctor, not a friend. I've got friends. She's a good doctor. While Lindo Gusha suggests that she's not looking for a friend in her therapist because she's got plenty of friends, she also admits that her circle has become smaller since she started therapy in the past year. I'm losing a lot of people because I'm realizing that our friendships weren't based on like a mutual compassion. We had fun together or we drank together um, or I was the impulsive friend who'd be like, oh, let's just drive to Durban immediately now. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's fine. Everyone needs a friend like that. Uh, she's gone. <laughs> and people are sad. They miss that mm. Linda Wutler. She's gone. I'm just like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> it's two o'clock in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who miss that and a lot of people who... The boundaries that I'm putting up now, it's sudden for them. They're not going to therapy with me. They're not learning or discovering the things that I'm discovering about myself. Um, so in the way that I have to learn myself, they have to learn me. And sometimes the me that they're discovering is not somebody that they like, you know? So boundaries are not just mentioning them, but enforcing them. Mm. Because people test. Oh, everybody tests the boundary. You see how far you can take it. Um, and my response now is just to leave. If I've, if I've told you, and I've told you many times now, I just step back. Um, so that's hard. And then the boundaries that you have to enforce when you can't run away, when it's family, those are really, really difficult also. So, yeah. It's crazy to learn that people preferred me ill. But I don't doubt them because I've been this way for so many years mm. and I preferred myself ill, which is why it took me so long to like go to therapy. I actually loved myself ill better than now, you know? Mm. Because I didn't have to do the work. You don't have to sit with yourself. You don't have to listen to yourself at all. So I don't, it's not a judgmental thing. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. we can't be friends right now. 
Even though being in therapy has cost Lindogushle some relationships, that hasn't stopped her from going public about her mental illness. In fact, I discovered that she's in therapy through a series of tweets she posted. I was particularly interested in a tweet in which she referenced American poet, writer, and feminist Audre Lorde, who's remembered for having written, My silences had not protected me. Your silences will not protect you. So, like, I'm absolutely obsessed with Audre Lorde, right? And all her politics of, like, speaking, self-preservation, silence as a kind of violence, right? Um... And not self-preservation of bubble baths and buying yourself chocolate because this woman was dying of cancer with no hope of living when she wrote that. And so it's just like when you're, when you're at your weakest and you're quiet about the things that are oppressing you, who are they benefiting? And it's always, it's always the systems of oppression that benefit, right? Um, so I just found myself swallowing poison every day just to make other people feel comfortable. And I just like, one day I was like, you know what, if I'm uncomfortable, we're all uncomfortable. Like, it's okay. Um, and then just also, my thesis was a lot on, I didn't realize I was processing all these things, but I was writing about silence and violence, and particularly the female black body a lot. Um, and how, like, like a memory is violent, like rem- remembering our trauma is violent, but also pretending we don't remember not speaking about it is more violent. So, and then the other violence, the latter one, only kills me. And the person who's actually hurting me gets to survive. So, so speaking out became a very difficult, important thing, but it doesn't make things easier, actually. Yeah. Which has been a difficult lesson, that people punish you for speaking out. Like, why can't you suffer silently? We're all suffering. Why must you speak? You know what I mean? I don't think we're used to particularly black women speaking. You know what I mean? Mm. So why are you so loud? Also, why are you so loud about your pain? Black women suffer. Mm. You're a rug. You know what I'm saying? girl. Why are you being so loud about your pain? And I guess it's also like you're speaking about things that people are familiar with that hurt them too. So it's a lot. You're confronting people with themselves, you know? Therapy, this form of therapy and how it's set up, because in Mm. some ways it isolates you as the individual Mm. and yet you come from... A community. A community, a family. Mm. And I don't know if you have any thoughts around that because within your family there may be other people who are goishing for their own reasons Mm. and, 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 and. And in some ways you're, you're... you have to now live with a band Within, who aren't. Mm. Yeah, I've been thinking about that actually. Mm. Um, I was never good for my community and well. That's my only response. I'm not more isolated than I was before. I just, I'm aware now. So, yeah. Mm. I'm better for my community like this. Even if it means I have to step back. Mm. It's healthier for everyone. I wanted to talk a little bit about other forms of, um, not other forms, but things you find therapeutic. Um, Masturbation. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A new thing is finding solace in people. Not just using them to distract me from my emotions, 
but actually finding solace in people, which I'm learning in therapy and I'm learning is therapeutic. People are not all horrible. Um, yoga, I don't know if it's therapeutic because for me it actually unlocks a lot of emotions. So there's, it feels like there's places where I've hidden emotions or memories or traumas in my body and then it unlocks it. It's like, hello, sis. Mm. Um, yeah, so therapeutic in that it is therapy as opposed to it feels good. Um, I think, yeah, I'm learning, you know, it's new. And a lot of the things that I thought I was doing before that were therapeutic, I'm discovering aren't, they were toxic. So I don't really have a clean answer for that. Mm. I'm figuring it out. Mm. But the most is to listen to myself in whatever way even if it means when I park my car I'm sitting in the car for like 10 minutes before I have to interact with people then I'm doing it you know yeah learning is therapeutic <laughs> at the time of my chat with Lindo Gutle, she was an executive producer at a music record label and soon after contributed to Kai FM's Jazzery Masterclass sharing her insights on the significance of Mam Miriam Mageba. And so, I was curious about the place of music in her healing process. Let's talk a little bit about your um, the music work that you do. Yeah. <laughs> and where that fits into everything. Yeah. It's been really amazing because it felt like even when I didn't know that I was being prepared for this process that I'm going through, my ancestors kind of brought all these things in my life that would guide me at different stages. Um, oh, I'm going to get emotional. But it's just like these communities of different ways of understanding and music as a healing force, I really believe in art as a form of healing and as a form of therapy. Not just because you can speak, but because it allows you to not have to speak. You don't have to have the words. Um, and so the music has come in place of a lot of things that I didn't know were silences. I didn't know were violent spaces in me. It's just a really like, it's a grounding force, man. Like, you always remember where you are in, like, the entire cosmology. And you remember that, like, you're a spiritual being. And you remember how to pray, how to not pray. But because I find music to be the most, like, sophisticated form of communication, the most sophisticated form of intelligence, and mostly because it doesn't rely on a language. Um, so that's been, like, a really... I wouldn't say, like... um a catalyst but just deeper feelings with easier lessons and like softer landings you know what I mean yeah just feels like I can stretch out there sometimes the darkness sits on my chest making it harder to tell east from west and and that's how we end off episode 9 of In Therapy. Thank you to my guest Lindo Gutlengosi for her time and for sharing her story. 
check out her writing, go to www.lindogutlengosi.com. The team for the podcast is made up of Dinika Naidu, my co-content producer, Spaman Layende, the engineer, and Noma Litzele, who works on digital. If you have any feedback for us, send an email to intherapy at kifm.co.za. Thanks also goes out to Mushroom Hour Half Hour for the use of Gimone from Tabang Dabane's album, Majale. Finally, the official theme song of the podcast is Breathe by Zasha, and you can find it on all digital platforms. Shall pass, my dear, I've got to breathe.